is a blimp in the sky, the new toilet graffiti. Do you pronounce it Warren Beatty or Beatty? We have finally reached episode 365. One, one for, for every, every day, day of, of the year. year. <laughs> if anyone does try listening to an episode every day in 2019, mm-hmm. let us know how it goes. Starting start on January the 1st, power right the way through. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You're going to have a great summer. I can't vouch for your spring. Patchy. <laughs> January is, I mean, January is a rough month. Anyway. January is a rough month, isn't yeah. it? You take what you can get. But it's nice to feel like we are with the listeners every day of your lives. So remember Ryan from Melbourne, who wrote to us a few episodes ago saying he was growing out his own hair. Should he turn it into a wig mm. while he still has his youthful, opulent mop? What was our general conclusion on that? No. Like, no. But he says... Apropos of my previous email about growing my hair out, I've been looking at upgrading my hairdryer. Ollie, answer me this. Does the Dyson hairdryer look worth it? Wow. That is an expensive hairdryer. It's like £300. It is. It isn't like £300. It is £300. <laughs> uh, so about 500 Australian dollars. Yeah, although you can now pay an extra $100 US to get one with a gold face. I know there's genuine engineering prowess at play but that is yeah. a serious factor above what the top end hairdryers used to be they've got what 70 millions worth of research and development to pay back hairdryer by hairdryer sure it's a laudable way to run a commercial business to say we're going to find a completely unglamorous portion of the market in air convection mm-hmm and charged five times more than everyone else because we make it look a bit like an Apple product. I, I think it's clever because, I mean, listeners who are younger than us may not realise, but in the past, the bit where you dry your hands after taking a shit wasn't cool. And then Dyson came along and turned it into this thing that's like... It's like, it's like a rapid toaster for your hands. Yeah. Well, simply the vacuum cleaner. Right. So uh, I admire them commercially, but Mm. I I can't really genuinely think that you're getting your money's worth. Put it this way, if someone said um, you can have a a decent Remington hairdryer, Mm -hmm. uh, which is worth about 40 quid, and I'll give you £260, I think I'd take the arm make. Dyson... Air dryers are notorious for less arm make. That's, the, the, that's en- the appeal. Yeah, the engine's in the handle. Engine's in the handle. Why is that less arm make? Uh, because it's better balanced. Mm. So the, right. the heavy bits in oh, your so hand. Oh, so you're lifting the... Yeah, yeah, okay. And also you're using it for less long because apparently it's so magnificently so blow dry I mean, I think it depends how bonded you are to your hair drying routine at the moment, Ryan, anyway. I'm not a hair dryer user. Nor I. So perhaps we are bad people to consult. And the other thing is, personally, I just feel I hit my hairdryer peak when I was about 10 because I had a duck and dry. Oh, wow. What's a duck and dry? It was, it was I think, the apex of 80s Cindy Lauper video style hairdryers, really. Oh. It was it was a hairdryer, like a cheap kid's hairdryer, really, but in the shape of a duck. So you put it in the stand and the stand was its webbed feet. And then the oh. nozzle was a duck's beak. Ryan, you could get yourself a duck hairdryer. It'd probably be, what, 15 quid on eBay? Uh, about 35, I think. Okay, I mean, yeah. that's cheaper and you'd have the joy of something that looks like a duck. I wouldn't buy a second-hand hairdryer. No, I don't think I would. Because like, it's the heating element that will burn out and if it's 30 years old. It might catch fire to your house. Yeah. Still worth it to have a cool hairdryer, though, <laughs> Ryan, huh? This could bring them back, like uh, the film Juno brought back burger phones. Totally like that. Here's a question from Chris in Hedgeend, Southampton, who says, In the Neil Diamond song, Sweet Caroline, ba, 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 there is a lyric that has my group of friends split down the middle. In the second, I think it's a bridge, Neil appears to sing, Warm 
touching warm, or is it one touching one? <laughs> Many lyric searches later, there is still a fifty-fifty split in our group. I really fail to see how there could possibly be that split because <laughs> the many lyric searches I did are very consistent. Oh, now that's interesting because not in my case. Oh, interesting. Okay, maybe we've got different Googles. Maybe. So, Helen, answer me this: Which is it? Does the first option, "warm touching warm," even make any sense? Please settle this soon-to-be long-running <laughs> debate. Okay, I think it's the second option, "one touching one," but I think you could make sense of "warm touching warm" because you could think that that is a genitals reference, couldn't you? Martin. Can I hear it in context? Because the line on its own makes no sense. Sing it. Uh, <laughs> maybe just don't sing it. Sing it. So it's the bit just before the, the chorus, as the bridge is. Second chorus, the first time around, so, it's hands touching yes. hands. The way he sings it is ambiguous, I agree with Chris. He doesn't clearly say one or warm. He kind of goes, one touching one. <laughs> Classic lane singer. Right, so then the context says, <laughs> reaching out, touching you. Either makes... A moderate amount of no sense. Either of them is about intimate touching, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Okay, so you plump down on the side, Helen, of one touching one because what? What's your evidence? Uh, Because every different lyrics sheet that I saw, and I did look at five... Uh, said one. Okay, so if you click Google Images, I mean on my Google, because Google is personalised, isn't see. it? <laughs> Yours goes for warmth and mine goes for impersonal pronouns. Well, when I type sweet into Google, it does prompt me potato fries. That tells you the kind of things that I go searching for. Sweet, sweet potato, potato fries. The point is, when you click Google Images on my search of Sweet Caroline mm. lyrics... Uh, you can see sheet music where it is written as warm, touching warm. No. Um, is it official sheet music? Well, I would agree with you that probably as far as there is an official version, you know Google does that thing where they bring up the copyrighted lyrics and it says at the bottom, copyright Universal Music Publishing mm. Group. On that version, it does say one touching one. There you go. But I do think the song is quite poetic, uh, it, as in it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> the first lyric... Where it began, I can't begin to knowing. Makes no bloody sense when you say it out loud. So I think it could be warm touching warm because it's leading to the almost quasi-sexual climax, isn't Mm. it, of the chorus, which is one of those joyous choruses from popular music. There is a frisson to it. And warm touching warm is that little bit sexier. I could imagine that actually the lyrics are warm touching warm, but perhaps in the 60s when they printed it in sheet music, they didn't want to write that because it was a bit racy. Do you think warm touching warm is really... Sexual. Well, it's not like vaginal fluid. It could be two people wetting themselves. Like it's, it's not a very. Of course, Martin. But one touching one is the fifties version, isn't it? It's the safe version. Well, he wrote it what sixty nine, I think. Yeah. Which was quite a uh, saucy time in the world. So I reckon he could have got away with. Got my first six string. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's a particularly weird lyric in this song. As the song goes, there is uh, one I hurt, hurting runs off my shoulder, which just reminded me of when you dislocated your shoulder. Yeah, that's what I was singing at Go Ape that time when I was hanging in the air. (laughs) Oh no. There are two uh, explanations Neil Diamond has given for how he wrote this song. And the first is that he wrote it for the then 11-year-old Caroline Kennedy, mm-hmm. which uh, then puts a lot of the lyrics into question. What was the other explanation? The other explanation, which is a bit later, he'd come up with this song and he needed a three-syllable name. Yeah, that's like and, more convincing. And his wife at the time was called Marsha, which didn't fit lyrically, so he just picked the name Caroline. Yeah, but you could just put another syllable in somewhere else, couldn't you? So instead of sweet, you could have... Lovely, Marsha. Yeah, but that's stretching out love. Fuck you, Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> Soon to be my ex-wife. Do you know, my absolute nightmare round on Popmaster would be Name Three Top Ten Songs by Neil Diamond. 
I, I can't blank. name one more. No, What's I can't. one more? It, well, did he do Love on the Rocks? He did um, Sour Caroline, uh, Funny Caroline, <laughs> Savory Caroline. Caroline. <laughs> I really like I really like Mummy Caroline. <laughs> yeah, but not um, not everyone uh, can taste you, Mummy Caroline. No, it's, it's, the, it's the Caroline that remains after all the all of the Carolines have left. What's astonishing is he had ten number one singles in America. Wow. None of which is Sweet Caroline. What, what are they? I don't know. It wasn't. Oh. It There's wasn't like songs that I don't recognise the song the names of. Yeah, isn't it weird how the, you, the big hit that lasts forever afterwards isn't necessarily the one at the time that anyone remembers? It's like I discovered the other week that um, the number one album of all time in America, if you can call it an album is the best of the Eagles. Yeah, great. No um, way! Except, that. except, no, but this is the more extraordinary thing. <laughs> it doesn't have Hotel California on it. <laughs> what? How's that possible? No. Like, oh, again, I, don't, I don't believe that. If I had to name three, I mean, I could do it now, just take it easy. Take it easy. easy. Right, name another Eagles song, quick. What's um, that really sleazy one? Take it to the limit. Is that a different one? Yeah. Fine. Yeah. There's a walking man five women I got seven women. Oh, that's taken. You easy. haven't won the mug on Popmaster. <laughs> but yeah, it's tough, right? It's not as tough as Neil Diamond, but it's tough. Popmaster is one of the toughest quizzes in the world, sure. though. It really is. But I mean, yeah, but if they said name three songs off Happy Nation by Ace of Base, I'd be on home turf. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, you know, I can't believe that I that that's the case. The most popular, like you'd think if the Eagles have the best-selling album of all time and it's a greatest hits, it would include their greatest hit but it doesn't do you think a good proportion of those people that bought that eagles album assumed it would have hotel california on it and, and they, they were, were disappointed, really disappointed. <laughs> so i take it easy is all right but i really wanted desperado desperado that's a good eagle song desperado that's a yeah. that's a real you just uh, said there's a good eagle song Martin, desperado is a good eagle. i mean it's not a good version because the eagles did Can, it. okay so uh, for <laughs> listeners who aren't familiar with the austwick uh, canon i should say that he's basically a pop music snob I don't discuss pop music with Martin in the same way a lot no. of people don't discuss Brexit and Trump. What? I just I don't want to get into this conversation. But right. it, are you going to tell me that Sweet Caroline is a piece of shit written by a hack? Because I'd feel <laughs> physically ill if you say that. It's I mean, such a great song. It's a really great song to get pissed up and sing your, with your uncle at a wedding. And that's difficult. You'd admit that's difficult to write a song that catchy and anthemic over five decades. If that's how you want to interpret admit what it. I just he said, then you can't admit that sure, it's a good pop it. song. I mean, it's, it's no, uh, you know, Margaritaville, is it? But what is it that makes some songs drinking anthems like Sweet Caroline mm. and Come On Eileen? Is it shoutability? I think it's shoutability. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the fact that however pissed you are, like if you're base, if you're already on the f- literally on the floor, <laughs> yeah. you can, you can join in with. Ba, ba, ba. Yeah, you can still do Angels by Robbie Williams. <laughs> yeah, here's a weird Neil Diamond fact. Mm-hmm. Um, he played Woburn Abbey in the seventies, and it was filmed by William Friedkin. Is it a terrifying performance? Ah, isn't that amazing? Where's Woburn Abbey? Where Woburn Safari Park is in the... Uh, <laughs> I don't know it. That is. It's the same place <laughs> where Woburn Village is, Martin. He's <laughs> <laughs> in Bedfordshire. Right, okay. Yeah. So the director of The Exorcist and the French Connection filmed a Neil Diamond concert that in weird. Woburn Abbey. I mean, like, that is weird. No, it's not Scorsese. Well, the Woburn Abbey thing's a bit weird. But like Scorsese filmed like the band and Bit Dylan and stuff, didn't he? Yeah, that's he? not weird. Because the Scorsese... He was now, coming up, Scorsese, when he did that. But William Friedkin, I just... Like it seems strange to me that Neil Diamond would be credible in that way. That if you won an Oscar or got nominated for an Oscar for best film, then you mm. go on to direct that. But then Morgan Spurlock did the One Direction movie, didn't he? But Which I've heard is quite good. It is quite good. I've seen it. I saw it on an airplane. Is that there's a nice bit where Liam Payne's mum shows you round his childhood home, their house, mm-hmm. 
And in his bedroom, she's got a cardboard cutout of Liam Payne that she nicked out of HMV. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, you know, sometimes we go up here and we just have a chat to Liam. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. <laughs> it, is, it is quite oh. sweet, yeah. yeah. And yet he probably wasn't her favourite member of One Direction. <laughs> no offence. If you've got a question... Then email your question to want to be this podcast at googlemail.com. Want to be this podcast at googlemail.com. Want to be this podcast at googlemail.com. Want to be this podcast at Regular listeners of the show will know that we always pause at this point for Bible study. And in this episode, it comes thanks to Richard from Birmingham, who says, Helen, answer me this. If Noah did take two of all the living creatures onto the ark, how big would the ark actually have to be? Well, according to reports... (laughs) (laughs) What, like Moses? The ark was 300 cubits in length. Cubits? Cubits is a measurement from... The elbow to the tip of the middle finger. So it varies On a bit who? in length. It means that the actual dimensions of the arc slightly vary due to the variable length of the forearm from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger, but is usually 15 to 18 inches. Okay, so how many cubits? Uh, 300 in length. So about 500 feet. Uh, 450 300 feet. men's arms. 50 cubits in width, so 75 feet. 30 cubits in height, 45. So 137 metres times 22.9 times 13.7. A third of the size of the Titanic. Yeah, it's not big enough, is it? Well, it's apparently big enough for 1,300 shipping containers. Wow. And it's big enough to fill a Costco, for oh, example. Oh, yeah. yeah. And some estimate that it's big enough for 100,000 square feet and that you could fit 2 million sheep in it. Comfortably, I'm not sure. I think they might have been going on the cubic footage of the Ark, in which case you're stacking sheep high and that seems unfair. Mm. We have decks. Three decks. Fairness didn't really come into it, though, did it? I mean, this was an era of animal sacrifice. I mean, they should Mm. be grateful for their survival, really. You know, he probably didn't have animal welfare at his heart. He just wanted to get them through it. But also, did he take every kind of every animal? Was he like, I'm just going to take two cows that I like the look of, not every kind of cow? Yeah, what about subspecies? Yeah, what about subspecies? Well, I presume biblical scholars have been debating this for (laughs) centuries, right? From what I've read, they really have. So what is their answer to that? So like when you say, oh, but there's 500 types of spider, do they say he took every subspecies? Uh, No, I think they don't. And also they can't speculate on species that would have died out or species that have kind of developed since when this was. But it wasn't that long ago in the life cycle of animal evolution, was it? That's the complication. Well, also animal evolution, shut up. It doesn't enter into these Bible stories. (laughs) But I think... They say, like, most mammals are quite small. So you've got the elephants and the giraffes and stuff, and they're always pictured, like, hanging over the top deck. But most of them would be a sheep size or smaller. So you could mm. fit a lot in. If you could play Noah for the day, Helen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> We've all thought about this. <laughs> yeah. Which, which animal would you say, oh, I'm going to let you drown? Like, if you just actually, right. I mean, I know you'd think sort of ethically, I've, yeah, I've been asked by God, you know, I should probably do everyone. But, like, if you had the chance just to quietly kick a rhino overboard. Oh, no one likes wasps. Yeah. Yeah, parasitic wasps. Yes, I think it would be a, some sort of flying Is it insect. a wasp or, like, a caterpillar that does that thing where it, like, 
spikes creatures' brains and then they kind of become like slaves. Was that in the William Friedkin directed version of Neil Diamond's <laughs> concert? That's at the Woburn Safari Park. <laughs> If I had been Noah Ollie, the problem would be this. God gave, <laughs> God gave Noah 120 years warning of the flood. So, Did he? Yeah, so Noah could get on with building the boat. I would have just left it till the night before, because you know what I'm like. <laughs> you sure? Yeah. I use the word boat there, but that's controversial in itself, isn't it? Is it? Well, I know that the type of wood is debated. So um, Go for wood. Go for wood, And yeah. no one knows what that is, so they've guessed cypress because that is a good wood for not rotting in water. Isn't that mad? That like, I mean, you'd think you'd reverse engineer it, wouldn't you, if you were a religious person at some point over the past few hundred years. You'd say, aha, we've discovered this country. This, it, you know, it grows near Israel. This must be go for wood. wood. But they haven't. So was the idea, do you think, mm-hmm. that Noah cut down all the trees made of gopher to build the ark right and thus they were extinct because they were all dead on the ship it seems plausible to me in which case if it was his favorite kind of wood he should have brought some gopher seeds with him or is it that um like a lot of things in the bible maybe uh the translation is problematic that's what they think because muslims think it's teak that's a lovely word. Yeah, I mean, it's if amazing. I was Allah, I would request a boat made of teak. Why not? There's a lot. With gold handles. Do you think someone said, what are you going to make your boat out of? And then Noah said, oh, I'm going to go for wood. Go oh. for wood. And they mis- mis- misunderstood him. Go for wood. Wow, who invited Jimmy Tarbuck in here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, I'm here all week. The Ark was the longest wooden boat until the 19th century. Because the Ark only really held together with these dimensions because it was God building it. Sure. But it was built to the one to six ratio, which apparently is the most stable for ocean-going vessels, meaning it would have had to tip 90 degrees in order to capsize. Okay, one to six ratio. Talk me through that. So, like, the length is six times the width, which is apparently ideal for a boat that's not going to capsize. Because, you know, if you're interested in this, you can go and tour a tourist attraction that is supposed to be a life model of Noah's Ark. Where's that? Uh, It is specifically in Williamstown, Kentucky. Halfway between Cincinnati and Lexington and right off the I-75, according to the directions of the website. Um, It's called Ark Encounter. Their Ark is 510 feet long, 85 feet wide and 51 feet high. How many animals are on it? Uh, No animals, but they do have zip lines. No animals? Then it's not the fucking Ark experience, is it? Well, it's a museum about how the Ark was created and how God did talk to Noah. (laughs) With three zip lines. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with zip lines and the logistics of how that happened. I was actually browsing on that yesterday on Wikipedia and I stumbled across a page called Searches for Noah's Ark. And for a moment, I genuinely thought, hold on, they didn't have Google in 353. Oh. <laughs> and then I realised it was people looking for Noah's Ark itself. I stumbled upon the list of uh, unusual deaths on Wikipedia, and that was a very absorbing half-hours read. I strongly recommend. What was the most exciting? Well, I mean, it starts off with someone getting smothered by hats thrown at him by an enthusiastic theatrical crowd, and it just gets more wow. and more. It's intense. Yeah. There's a guy who, like, he owns a woolen mill. He falls into a machine and gets swaddled by several hundred yards of wool. Fuck. It's a really good page. Okay. But uh, what I was going to say was, when we were in I think it was either Kentucky or Indiana and we'd seen that there was a Bible themed mini golf and uh, <laughs> obviously I really wanted to go and um, I was absolutely crushed that when we got there it was shut so we just peered through the fence and they had like a Ark one what else did they have Jonah and the Whale I'm guessing not a crucifixion I scenes. couldn't see the full course but that might have been balls pop out the, of his the mouth the 18th hole goes, goes up the grass you have to get them through the stigmata sure <laughs> Um, isn't it weird, though, that the pain of Jesus somehow is more immediate to Christians than the pain of Jewish ancestors is in the Old Testament to Jews? 
what I mean? You don't you don't read about the plagues. I guess you read about Exodus and the slaves come from Egypt. You're supposed to feel sympathetic, but it's like it's a bit more fun, isn't it? The destruction of the people and the the burning and the leprosy mm. and stuff than, yeah. than the crucifixion is. I think because it's God's son, so you feel like a family affiliation. Yeah. Don't if, do it to him, mate. God. Yeah. Oh come on, God. Seriously. <laughs> do it to the slaves. I know you're a bit cruel. But... <laughs> do it to the carpenters. <laughs> I think also because Jesus is so nice about it. Yes, he is. Yeah, I think, I think crucifixion is quite rough as well. It's. I've heard. Don't get nothing me wrong. I'm not saying pleasant. it's great. I'm just saying drowning is also not a barrel of laughs. Being turned into a bit of salt. Yeah. Um, some people also, of course, believe the location of the ark is being suppressed by the Russian and American governments working together. Why would there be a conspiracy about that? Why is there a conspiracy that Avril Lavigne died years ago and was replaced by a lookalike called Melissa? I can't answer that. People love conspiracies. It's all connected. But, uh, but the suggestion, I guess, that you'd cover up the Avril Lavigne thing would be <laughs> that perhaps, you know, music moguls could still be making money out of her Yeah, but someone image. dying tragically young sells yeah. more records yes. than virtually anybody. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Provably so, so. If anything, they missed a trick not killing Avril Lavigne. Yeah. Why does it have to be so complicated? Oh. <laughs> I'm an influencer. You want to be who I am. You envy everything on my Instagram But it's all stock photos My life's a total sham I can't even do yoga But I'm a real health expert I use Squarespace All my photos and advice are all in the one place And I built a store So you can buy into my taste $8 smoothies Thank you very much to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This. Yes, thank you kindly, sir. We appreciate everything sir, you do for us. It's all of the genders. Madam. Um, uh, a thing that Squarespace have just introduced is shoppable posts on Instagram. Hello. So what that is, is you take a photo of a product that you're selling on your store and then mm-hmm. you can tag it on Instagram with a Squarespace link. So then people can then click through from Instagram without leaving Instagram and buy something off your Squarespace site. That's good, because Instagram Instagram doesn't normally normally let you put links in, does it? They do for Squarespace. They're special friends with Squarespace. Oh, wow. If you have a store, but if you choose not to have a store, if you just choose to promote your personal brand, whatever that means, remember you can do that by building yourself a website. Or if you want to do things that sound less wanky than promoting a personal (laughs) brand, and you're like, I'm a photographer, I just want to show people my work. I just want people to see my photos and employ me if they fancy. I've got a podcast, I want it easy for people to find my show. Sure. I do want to keep the same legacy website I've had for 12 years. <laughs> it was the best available at the time, and then when they couldn't bother to change it. Um, then all you need to do, if you want to take out the free trial, is visit squarespace.com slash answer. You can build your website. You can try Squarespace's drag-and-drop tools and award-winning templates. And then if you like it and you want to sign up for a year, you can get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain using our code answer. answer. Here's an email from Sean who lives in Marlow in South Buckinghamshire and is 47 years old. He says, there is a pub near me called the Three Horseshoes. Uh As I drove past today, I wondered, why three? Horses generally have four legs. Well spotted, Sean. So, Ollie, answer me this. Why are pubs called the Three Horseshoes? You are correct that horses normally do have four legs. Generally, yes. Generally, yes. The idea of the three horseshoes as a sign came about because blacksmiths used to use it as their kind of logo. Oh. So it's the equivalent of the barbershop spinny thing that we've talked about before for blacksmiths. Nonetheless, why not four? Why um, not a complete set? Because the idea is the farrier is working on one of them at the time Ooh. the image is uh, drawn. Right. So, so the horse has four legs, but one of them is being worked on at the moment by a blacksmith, hence three. 
So then that leads to the question, okay, so did blacksmiths used to own pubs or something? Why would there be pubs for blacksmiths? And the answer to that, I think, as far as I can work out, although some people online do seem to believe that the worshipful company of farriers did (laughs) own pubs at one stage. They've been the... uh, sort of union for craft farriers since 1356. Wow. Um, Some people think they did own pubs. I don't think they did. I think it's just that everybody used to drink. So like a pub needed a USP because there was a pub every 100 metres along the street. So there would be one that blacksmiths go to and those were the ones that became the three horseshoes. Also, we've talked before about the evolution of pubs from essentially being people's living rooms. So maybe the blacksmith was like, yeah, come in and while I anvil stuff, you can get pissed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, could be the blacksmith's wife. Go on. Well, the blacksmith is doing the ironwork and the, the wife's brewing the beer. Tending bar. Yeah. Putting out peanuts. That's quite a progressive <laughs> view. I don't know if... Were women doing that in British pubs, do we think, in the 1300s? I don't know. But then you could still call the pub the horseshoe, and that would really bypass all these problems that are really plaguing Sean. Yeah. Then it's like the concept of horseshoes rather than... An incomplete set of horseshoes. I mean, you could just call it for people what work on horses. Booze house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what's quite interesting when you look into it is all of these British pub names, which I hadn't really thought about before, all have these kinds of historic connections to the people who drank there. So like the Rose and Crown, that's an obvious one. That's sort of the Tudor Rose and monarchy, you know, so that's for your English patriot, basically, originally. Yeah. Um, But then things like, okay, the Black Horse. Any ideas? Well, it seems like it would be something to do with a black horse, but is it a metaphor? No, it, well, sort of. It's a legend. Mm. It's a tribute to Dick Turpin's horse, Black Bess. Oh. Uh. oh right. um, so for the highwayman, that one. The white horse, you will not guess. <laughs> is, is it like some drugs reference? Um, kind of. It was the equine symbol of the House of Hanover. Oh. Um, so when George I became king and he was elector of Hanover, publicans displayed that as if to say, all right, George, we're on your side. Tribute to you. I see. So I suppose that would be like when Prince Charles becomes king, everyone putting Welsh references into their pub names. So it's quite political. Or it's like when a pub has a lot of England flags Mm. around it, you know that there's a very particular political slant to being in that pub. Here's something that I did not know. The bull and bush, you'll enjoy this one, (laughs) is basically a play on words. Really just... Wouldn't expect that from a pub name, would you? I remember there was a music hall song that was like going to get drunk down at the old bull and bush. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Come, come, come drink port wine with me down at the old bull and bush. I could stop you, but I'm enjoying it. That's quite nice, actually. Can't remember the rest. So it's interesting, isn't it, to think whether Helen could have been a music hall star back in the day. Uh, My voice is gone now. What would your catchphrase be? Got surgical damage. (laughs) That's not my catchphrase. (laughs) (laughs) The queen of surgical damage, (laughs) Helen Zaltzman. Intubation scarred my vocal cords down at the old larynx. Anyway, um, no, uh, the the reason the music hall song exists is because there are a lot of British pubs called the Bull and Bush. The reason there's a lot of British pubs called the Bull and Bush is because it's from the British pronunciation the mistaken pronunciation of boulogne bush there's a french port in boulogne where henry the eighth was victorious in battle what so wow. it's a tribute to henry the eighth but That's... people couldn't say boulogne well i can't now even boulogne. I think boulogne exactly so they're trying to say uh boulogne bush and it came out as bull and bush that sounds a little bit abstract even so i read it in a book helen oh, this was internet true. research <laughs> someone printed this my parents made a, a, a club called the beggar's bush there's a pub and it was a folk club and i never worked out why you'd call a pub the beggar's bush no i mean if that was a facebook group these days i definitely would not join hi helen and ollie and martin the sound guy this is katie from the coast salish territories is it true that artificial vanilla flavoring is made from a gland in a beaver's anus? 
Katie, your delivery sounds like the beginning of an investigative journalism podcast, which is going to run for months. <laughs> Just need some kooky music on that. I wonder whether this is more common in Canada due to the presence of beavers. And presumably not natural growing vanilla. Yeah, good point. Probably easier to access a beaver's anal glands in Canada than vanilla growing. Wrong climate. I mean, look, basically I'm, I'm saying not WTF, because I know, and we've discussed it before, animal pheromones have played a part in fragrances that humans consume or put on themselves. Still do, yeah. But I would but I would be surprised if the artificial vanilla flavouring that I now buy in Sainsbury's is made from a gland from a beaver's anus. Would that surprise <laughs> be well placed? Uh, yes, because uh, although castorium, which is what this is called, is still used to flavour things, there's about 300 pounds of it produced a year. In the USA, if you compare the amount of beaver anus <laughs> castorium to vanilla pods. Vanilla pods are doing about 100,000 times the business of the castorium. Was beaver anus so unpopular? Well, I think beaver anus is unpopular because it comes out of a beaver's anus. Mm. The thing is, it doesn't count as an artificial flavouring. So if you were looking for it in a list of ingredients, it might not be listed with all the E numbers because it's classified as natural. So you might not even know if you have beaver anus in your food. Ah, so classified as natural but unsuitable for vegans. But castorium has been used for millennia as a substance, not only for flavouring things, because it has this sort of gentle, vanilla-y, slightly fruity fragrance, but also in perfumes, which I I think is where most of it is still used. Mm. And also in medicine. So the ancient Romans thought that it could induce abortions and that it could be a treatment for epilepsy and as a painkiller. Wow. How would you find out that the anal gland excretions of a beaver would do all these things? Like if they'd hunted an animal and killed it, I suppose every single bit of it, you're going to see what you can make out of it. Yeah, give those glands a bit of a squeeze. Give them a squeeze, see what it smells like, I suppose, is how that happened. Apparently it might also be used still in flavouring cigarettes and booze. In Sweden, there's a kind of schnapps that is called beaver shout because it has castorium as a flavouring. See, they should put that as a warning on the cigarette packet, shouldn't they? Like, you don't need blackened lungs. You could just have, like, a beaver's arsehole. This is what you're smoking. (laughs) Presumably beavers survive having their anal glands drained by flavourings hunters. Oh, could you battery farm beavers just for their anal glands? So you had to anaesthetise beavers to extract it, and then a human would have to milk their anus glands to get it out. Milk. That's the verb? That seems to be the verb used by beaver anus industry insiders. But it was so expensive to get it. Like, even though vanilla is expensive, it was so expensive to sedate beavers and milk their anuses that, yeah, vanilla took over. Sure. Here's an email from Michael who says, I'm British, but I live in Wankheim, Germany. Get out of here. It is a real place and I really <laughs> live there. Michael has been binge listening to answer me this. Haven't we all, mate? Yeah. He says, uh, I never really get tired of it. Well, there was a point around the 220 mark where you seemed to get touchy with the listeners and I took a break for only for about three days. <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for it. Uh, Sorry, listeners. Michael says, perhaps as a result of my answer me this binge euphoria slash delirium, I've decided that a black metal style jingle would be a good idea. Oh. Uh, sort of in the style of wolves in the throne room. What's that, Martin? Do you know what that is? No idea. No? It's a snob about Neil Diamond, but he doesn't know his black metal either. <laughs> I've... <laughs> Michael recorded it himself playing and programming all the instruments in 24 hours so wow mm. thank you very much Michael for this black metal jingle thank you Michael I'm yeah. looking forward to hearing this I'm gonna push you! 
Well, that really woke me up. It certainly so, did me. Mm. Thank you, yeah. Michael. Thank I enjoyed you. it. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, all the people of Wankai. <laughs> for supporting you in your journey. Um, and thank you, too, to the folks at Bluffers Guides for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This. There is a range of many books that will help you become adequately well-informed in a subject in a very short amount of time. So that you can blag your way through a pub conversation, for example, looking like you know more about a subject than you actually do, having learnt about it in a humorous way. Yes. I've been reading The Bluffer's Guide to Chocolate, which is very, very informative. Good. What did you learn? Uh, I've learnt all about the process of manufacturing chocolate, which sounds like a huge pain. Very complicated and difficult. What was the most surprising detail? Well, in the Ferrero Rocher ads with the ambassador's reception... Don't tell me it wasn't a real ambassador. People don't say, ambassador, you're really spoiling us. Like everyone quotes... No. They say, monsieur, you're really spoiling us. Do they? Mm. God, it's like play it again, Sam, isn't it? And you know the other one of those is um, The End of We Are the Champions by Queen. Mm -hmm. How does We Are the Champions by Queen end? I'm asking the music snob. We Are the Champions of the World. No, wrong. Fucked it, mate. Helen, how does it end? I'm not going into this. It's a trap. It just ends. We are the champions. And then the guitar goes, bong. Doesn't say of the world. That's the end of the second chorus. But everyone goes, of the world. Doesn't. That's the best bit. Fucking doesn't. That's the best bit. I want resolution. Um, I've been reading The Bluffer's Guide to Opera. Oh, how's that going? Ah. I'm now an expert. Um, Good for you. (laughs) The best thing that I learnt, did you know that the Chicago Opera House barred Luciano Pavarotti after his 26th cancellation of a performance in 1989? Oh Mm. my God. If you're going to bar anyone and you're an opera house, don't (laughs) don't sack off Pavarotti. 26 cancellations though. That's the point where it's like, he's never going to perform here. But it's worth making an exception for Pavarotti, surely. It depends on whether he's ever going to turn up. Yeah, but they made 25 (laughs) exceptions. Widely believed to be the best opera singer of our lifetime. No, but they gave him 25 chances and they were like, 26 times the pav, you're taking the piss. 26 yeah. is not going to be the charm. <laughs> there are loads of Great Bluffers Guides titles to choose from, and there are going to be four more published next month. Oh, yeah? Uh, from October, you can get the Bluffers Guide to the Quantum Universe. Wow, I would like to bluff oh, my way I'd through like that. I'd like to read that. Yeah, yeah. waste of time doing your PhD, mate. You can get Bluffers Guide to skiing, no, football, no, and rugby. Don't bluff your way through skiing, because no. that's how injuries happen. That's, that's how you, exactly yeah, how happens. I ended up a physical wreck. You can get them in print or in ebook. You can get them at bluffers.com. Time for a question from James, who says, I need some life advice. It boils down to choosing between romance and career. Oh, Martin, did you send this question, disguising yourself as James? <laughs> I chose romance. I recently took a six-month summer job, which could lead to a full-time job at an international development consultancy. I think this is the career part, not the romance. Getting these sorts of roles is pretty rare, and since leaving university in 2016... I've struggled to find jobs I'm interested in. The thing is, the job is in Dubai, says James, and since arriving a week ago, I've discovered a few things. Firstly, Dubai is an awful place, (laughs) uh, which holds literally no interest or attraction for me. Right. Shame you could not have deduced that before. I mean, I would say a cursory Google would have revealed whether it held any interest or attraction for you. You don't have to go, surely, to determine that. Well, you can't Google, is Dubai interesting or attractive, and get results that are pertinent to what James is finding, I don't think. Yeah, but that's a that's a very literal interpretation of what I'm saying. That's what I Google I think you could Google does. Dubai and click Google Images <laughs> and decide. Uh, he says, I also don't know anyone here. That's not such an issue, I don't think. I mean, he can work on that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's how making friends works. And that would be the same wherever he went in the world, probably. Yeah, exactly. James could get a job in a town 50 miles away from uh, where he recently graduated. And still not know anyone. Yeah. Uh, secondly, he says, though, whilst the work is overall fairly interesting... <laughs> fairly. Okay, so that could have been worse. A lot of it is very time-consuming and dreary. Mm-hmm. Checking legal contracts, etc. A lot of work is dreary. 
Like even a job you love, there's dreary elements. I sort of do the job that I love. I talk for a living. So do you. Yes. That still involves at least one day a month of basically admin and accounts. Like you can't ever get out of that. I think at least 30% of my working week is stuff that's quite dreary. Uh, anyway, James continues. Uh, most importantly, my hours are insane. Oh, I'm sorry. My first work day, the morning after I landed, was 19 hours long. To be fair, that is a very that long is very long. long but then, if he doesn't like Dubai, then it means he's spending less time interacting with it. Uh, I'm regularly emailed work after 8 p.m. for completion that same evening. That's shit. <laughs> and my weekends are functionally non-existent. Now that is a shame yeah. because. One good thing that even people who don't like Dubai like about Dubai is the brunch culture. Right. There is some amazing brunching going on on a Sunday in Dubai. So if you're missing that, you are basically missing the best bit about Dubai. In theory, says James, I should get to travel a lot, but I haven't done any yet. No time. But he says that he doesn't like the area, so why does he want to travel? There are lots of different cultures within a short flight from Dubai. On the other side, says James, this is where he's going to start talking about the romance, everyone. Oh. About a month and a half before I left... I began dating someone. We'd only been on four dates when I got the job offer, but in the two weeks between getting the offer and me leaving, we spent more and more time together. Well, that was a good idea, wasn't it? Of course it's going to happen, though. (laughs) And then the last night before I left, she told me she was halfway towards falling in love with me. I feel exactly the same way. Half. (laughs) Half. Since leaving... She has been constantly on my mind. Mm. See, not not oh. half on his mind, constantly. Yeah. So Helen asked me this: Should I stay or should I go? I face the choice between pursuing a career with a cool company that allows for almost no time completely free of work and no chance of working from Britain, or ditching it to return to family, friends, nice surroundings, and the potential for a wonderful relationship. Uh, so I reckon stick out the six months. And then look for a job in Britain, because now you've got some experience at a good place behind you. Yes. But it doesn't sound like you like this job and this life enough to stay in it, even if you hadn't fallen in love with someone at home. I imagine it's very difficult to live in a country that you dislike when you have the option not to do that. That's exactly right. Like The first half of the email, before you even got onto the romance bit, if you'd said, I'm working 19-hour days, uh, I'm in a place that I hate and the job is reasonably satisfying, I'd have said leave. Yeah. And then you throw in this romance element, it's like leave. But I agree, it's only for six months anyway, so use that six months to research a different job and maybe work on building that 50% up to 60% so you know you've got someone waiting for you when you get back. (laughs) Maybe 65%. Also, one thing I do know about Dubai is that the people who work there get very well paid, Mm -hmm. generally. I'm not talking about the people who build the hotels, I'm talking about the people who go and live (laughs) in the complexes and work for the Western companies that are based out there. Right. So, if you are that person, it sounds like you are, even though you're working in international development, why not use some of that money you're being paid to fly your girlfriend out there or the person who is nearly your girlfriend. Like, if she can take just a week's holiday, that could be an amazing time that you'd have together. You do all the things that you find unattractive and hideous with someone else and suddenly it could be an experience that you enjoy together. Yeah, I guess, though, if he is working 19 hours a day, then he might not Mm. get to see her. Although she could come out and maybe she'll really fall for Dubai and it will make him like it more, which would at least improve the rest of his six months tenure, even if he doesn't want to stay longer than that. I wish I could uh, fill in now with lots of uh, personal anecdotes of my time in Dubai, because I did technically fly into Dubai and out of Dubai a week later. 
in February. Um, but we went straight to a resort and sat on a beach and didn't see anything other than a shopping mall. And when I've said that to a lot of people, they say, yeah, well, that's Dubai. You saw a shopping mall and a beach. But still, I'd, I'd have, had I not had a two-year-old, I would have done a bit more of like looking at the markets and trying out the spices. Didn't do any of that. So right. I, can't t- I can't tell you that there's more to Dubai than what you've seen, because all I saw as well was the skyscrapers where people like you work and then the resort that I went to. Yeah, okay. I had a lovely time. So there's more to Dubai than what you, Ollie Mann, have seen. But possibly not more than what James has seen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I could tell you what buffet night was good in the hotel, but that doesn't sound like it's directly relevant to you. But I think it's pretty natural to feel like you hate a place when you've only been in it a week and you don't know anybody and you're probably absolutely knackered because you're working these crazy hours. I don't think now is the time to make this decision. When I've been abroad, often I've been hating it and then after a few days I've turned a corner. I cannot relate to that because I love traveling to new places i don't like being on planes i don't like the process of it but when i get to a new place i always love it and i've been to places that other people think are shitholes and i found something in it that i find really interesting or that i really like and i actually i'd almost go as far to say you know that thing of people kind of browsing property sites just to imagine what it would be like living in that property wherever i am whether it's business or pleasure i can't help the part of my brain that's like oh yeah i could have quite a nice life if i lived here in this particular (laughs) way um, so I, I don't think I'd feel like that at all. I can't relate to that. So you're saying you there are some places you go to and immediately you think, I want to get out of here. I hate it. I remember when I spent a couple of months in Florence when I was 18 and it was my first time really away from home. And I didn't mind that so much, but I didn't know anyone for two weeks and I wasn't mm. staying in a particularly interesting or enjoyable part of town. And so I just felt very isolated and very alienated. But then I made friends two weeks in and it totally changed everything. So maybe that would help James. So travelling alone, yes, I get lonely sometimes, especially if I'm travelling for work. So yeah, and I've only ever done it for like three or four days at a time. And by day two, you know, in the evening when you're having your second meal by yourself, you kind of think, oh, this isn't as good as being with someone. I do get that. But as you say, uh, and as he says, he doesn't know anyone there. He will know people there very soon. And I think that will help enormously. Also with the internet now, it's not like he's in a place where he can't use social media. Like he can find other people they're in exactly the same boat as him and meet up with them. In a way, being an expat makes it easier to make friends than being a citizen. Yeah, because people are so desperate to make other friends. Don't even need anything in common. It's just the fact you're there. If I, if I meet someone in a bar in London and they're like, oh, you're from Hertfordshire. I'm from Luton. That isn't interesting. Well, you know, I don't think, oh, well, we're going to be friends. But if that happens in Dubai, then it's like, oh, Luton, I've been to Luton. Like, it is suddenly you have connections that, you know, matter more because they're out of context. Yeah. I mean, heaven forbid that James should befriend anyone who's not also an expat, who's the same as him. Yeah, come on. Don't um, be ridiculous. But you, He's not going to start talking to the locals. You know, any suggestions we might have, though, of making friends and going out and seeking like-minded people and having a brunch and maybe engaging in the city and its surroundings. If he is working all of the time, maybe he's just thinking, yeah. I can't do that. But then he's also not going to really get that much out of the job except for hating it more and more and more. So I think life first, job second, in James's case. I think we're agreeing with the same strategy, which is stick out the job, but only for the initial six months. So know that you're going. Use the end of the job to try and set up this relationship and a nicer life for yourself somewhere else in the world at the end of it. And try and make some friends whilst you're there to make it more bearable. I think that is basically what we're saying, isn't it? Job done. You're welcome, James. But, But what I would say is... Do that because it's the right thing to do based on everything else in your story. Don't do it because of the girl. Because although she may have felt halfway towards falling in love with you when you left, she may not feel like that anymore. And you don't want to resent 
giving up job opportunities yeah. or turning your back on a glamorous part of the world because of the girl. Like, don't turn that into the story when you get back to Britain because that is your fucking fault. It's nothing to do with her. <laughs> you didn't like the job. They were working you too hard. You went to a country that you had no affection or interest in. All your fault. You know, th- it's a glimmer of hope that she liked you and you've got to cling on to that. But if it doesn't work out when you get home, not her fault. Yeah, although I get why you're saying that, Ollie, but in a romance film, would they say... I came back for you or I came back because the working hours were shit. Mm. What's going to sweep someone off their feet? And with that, we have reached the end of this episode of Answer Me This. But cheer up, kids, because there will be another fresh episode of Answer Me This on the first Thursday of next month. And we would like you to send us your questions we to would. feature in it, yeah. please. Imagine if people hadn't got to grips with that part of the concept by now. We would have other jobs. An episode a day for a whole year and you still don't know we want your questions (laughs) if you want to email us if you want to send us a voice memo if you want to get in touch all the details are on the website answermethispodcast.com we have separate podcasting projects as well that you might be interested in stuffing into your ears helen is the presenter of the illusionist and the illusionist is going on tour so this month of september 2018 we are in Uh, Glasgow, London, Bristol and Dublin and then October and November we are touring the US and Canada Hear the enthusiasm, it's like Mark Goodyear doing the advert isn't it? Oh, I am excited Good. I'm also slightly worried that my voice is going to conk out completely on stage but you could come for the risk (laughs) Is she going to make it to the end of this game? Is she going to have to complete it using only dance? But all listings are at theillusionist.org slash events And if you've enjoyed Martin's views on popular music in this podcast... Then get away with you. (laughs) uh, You might want to check out Song by Song. Yeah, we talk about every Tom White song in in chronological order. We've just started big time, and you can hear that at songbysongpodcast.com. And congratulations, Oliver, for just completing another series of The Modern Man. Thank you. Yes, season eight has wrapped. um, And you can listen back, including uh, the most recent episode in which I interview Britain's most prolific private sperm donor. Wow. It's a hell of a ride. Seriously. (laughs) fascinating conversation not not because of anything i'm doing just because wow did it in a lake of spunk what a life uh and you can hear that show uh plus my interviews with youtuber hannah witten and others at modernmanwith2ends.co.uk um remember as well that our first 200 episodes are available for you to buy through answermethisstore.com itunes and amazon and halfway through the month we put out one of our paywalled episodes as the retro answer me this available for one month only but you have to subscribe you have to get to subscribe. it subscribe if you don't subscribe rss wise no yeah. retro episode for you yeah nothing <laughs> emptiness <laughs> i mean you might still feel empty we can't solve every <laughs> existential problem with these but we can just blot out the noise with our past selves for a little while uh right well that's it it's been i should say we've been sharing um a room for the first time in a year. This episode yeah. for the first Aww. time in a year. It's been nice to physically see you. It has been nice. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And uh, Martin, I'll speak to you next time. Martin has also <laughs> been here. I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll see you next time too. Bye. Bye. Bye.